0: there it is we're live welcome welcome everybody back again this week today we're super excited we're going to be talking about developing self-consent so what does that mean we're going to find out so tune in we're going to have a great time here we go practicing polyamory real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory the mission of the practicing polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community enjoy the show All right, all right, welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to this beautiful Monday, brand new week, awesome guests lined up if you are joining us for the first time today, welcome and thank you for tuning in and if you've been here for a while then you already know that we're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and Twitch every Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, three opportunities for you to ask questions so if you have questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show. Slide into my DMs and let me know, or leave a comment while we're recording live. Follow the show on all social media platforms at PracticingPolly A, and let me know what it is that you want us to talk about. And as always, as a reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on this show. I have four spots left in October, and after October, I'm done for a few months, so if you want to be on the show... Come on in. We're none of us are perfect, and we're here to share our imperfect stories because the more stories we share, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up for the last few spots of season one. Share your imperfect story, too. All right, that's my spiel, and now. Let's introduce our awesome guest. Our guest today has been curious about people and power for as long as she can remember. And since sex and relationships fall perfectly into that realm, a curious interest soon became a blossoming career as an educator and coach. Today's guest works with clients ranging through a broad and diverse scope. Sex workers and performers, kinksters and neuroqueers, and folks all across gender, sexuality, and relationships spectrums can feel safe with our guests as together you work toward healing conversations. With humility and grace, our guest recognizes that she is not somehow more evolved or enlightened, but believes that by having an outside perspective, she may be able to see your journey in a way that is for whatever reason, beyond your line of sight. Tune in today as we dig deep into what it means to have a consensual relationship with ourselves and pick up some tips on how to tune in, and show up for your needs, your desires, and your limits with self-love and respect. Joining us today from Love Uncommon, welcome to the show, Sophia Graham. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited to get to learn from you and uh, to, to hear what it is that uh, self consent means before we dive into that uh, tell us a little bit about yourself I mean I, I gave a little bit of background on you. You, you you had this fascination with with people power, relationships you've you, you call yourself a relationship geek. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and uh, and just who you
1: are. Yeah well I started thinking about relationships like most of us do in my 20s and really got into heterosexual relationships primarily with men and hadn't really looked beyond that figured that was really my identity and i was about to marry a really wonderful man and then i fell in love with someone that wasn't him Mm. and he was super monogamous (laughs) Mm -hmm. we tried to figure out can we do non-monogamy together is that possible for us but he was really able to honor his needs and say like I really love you I want to be with you forever but I I can't do that which I respect you know that's of course that's that's a cool thing at the same time I was running from pillar to post I was one of these people who avoided emotions which is kind of unusual for a person who became a therapist but there (laughs) we are And I just wasn't in touch with them. So through my 20s, I did a PhD, I got a job in the judiciary, I did all kinds of things in the UK and just barreled through focusing on everybody outside me, everybody else's emotions, everybody else's feelings, everybody else's thoughts. And I didn't have time or honestly patience to Mm -hmm. look internally. But then I fell in love and it was nothing like a fairy tale. (laughs) And the emotions went from like, grayscale these tiny little things to this like glorious technicolor which was amazing and terrifying (laughs) and I decided I needed to really explore myself like I'd spent all this time doing all these other things I needed to actually get in touch with who I was and so I wondered if I was kinky or not I wondered what my gender identity was I wondered what my sexuality was Hmm. I wondered whether I was um monogamous or non-monogamous I was I was pretty sure I wasn't monogamous (laughs) yeah (laughs) having having fallen in love but I wanted to know like who am I you know who am I now I finished my PhD I'm not getting married after all and maybe I never will who am I
0: that is the (laughs) ultimate question isn't it (laughs) It I feel like there's so many people that are struggling with that question Mm -hmm. for, for a a myriad of reasons. Um, I, I'm kind of going through that myself, uh, Mm -hmm. professionally, um, having kind of in a sense completed, I don't want to say completed, but, but, uh, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm kind of transitioning out of one, uh, career and I'm open to the possibility of, of something new, but I've been working in this one for the past, you know, seven, eight years that it's it's hard to imagine what the next thing that I'm going to do is going to be. So I mean, that's just a professional identity. You went further
1: and you were you were questioning all of your identities. What was that journey like? I mean, I wasn't questioning my whiteness. I'd I'd really okay. interrogated my race stuff because I grew up in the global south where I was a privileged racial minority.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: so I had a really I guess, uncomfortably comfortable relationship with my whiteness. So race wasn't in there, which, you know, means that there are fewer. And disability wasn't so much either at that time. But very much so many other aspects. So very much, basically, all of the gender, sexuality, relationship orientation, Mm kink stuff was just so intense. There was so much to explore. And at the same time, I moved countries. So I I landed in Dublin, where I was doing my first postdoc. And it was a wonderful place to explore that stuff because the queer community in Dublin is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And there were just lots of people around me who were willing to talk about it and to have these deep conversations. And at the same time, I was going to a bunch of workshops. So the non-monogamies conference a few years later in Portugal, um, Mm -hmm. contemporary non-monogamies, I think it was about 2014 had a bunch of really wonderful workshops that straddled that academic practitioner um, divide and really contributed on both sides. And it was at those workshops that that I started to wonder about this concept of self-consent. So I went to a workshop run by Meg John Barker and Hannah Darville. I don't know if you know Meg John's work.
0: I'm not familiar, no.
1: They've written um, some really wonderful books, including Queerographic Graphic History, and okay. uh, Rewriting the Rules. They're really fantastic books that kind of open you up to looking at what, what's possible. And I guess that, one of, that was one of the books that I found really compelling early in my Explore Everything period, was Rewriting the Rules, because it was really about interrogating you to figure out what your own rules are, rather than going by this default set that are shoved on us. But anyway, the Portugal workshop (laughs) was all about (laughs) handshakes and consent. And you might have seen some of the videos on tea and consent. It's it's kind of a similar concept. It's all about how do we interpersonally negotiate these very common things that are nothing to do with sex.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. And my question was kind of before that, like... I can do the interpersonal interaction once I figured out my shit. Once I know what I want. Once right. I have a sense of uh, what kind of tea do I want? Do I want a firm handshake or a gentle one? Do I want any handshake at all with you? And I asked a question, which was, "How do you know this stuff?" Like,
0: that's, you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so everything that that they were teaching is all about interacting with others and getting that consent from others. But what you're talking about is a really deep, like introspective dive. And I, I mentioned this on the show uh, recently, you know, introspection. I, I think I'm pretty okay with that. You know, I, 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 journal a lot and I, and I think about, you know, a lot of different things, but this question of who am I, you know, th- th- I'm still asking myself, there's a lot of people that are asking themselves, so what what was that work like what what and and i I, I think that you have uh, you said there's a workshop that you do and a course that you're going to start teaching so let's kind of dive into what this is and and how what is what does it do for for the people that are taking your courses
1: so self consent is really all about centering your relationship with yourself, centering consent in the relationship with yourself, so mm-hmm. figuring out what your wants, needs, and boundaries are. So at that workshop, my question to the facilitators was, how, how do we do that before we have this interpersonal interaction? And their answer was sort of slow down, which mm-hmm. I think is a legit answer, but I don't think it's complete. I think there's more, right? Sure, yeah. And so I think it's really all about centering both consent in your relationship with yourself. So having an understanding of what are the interceptive signals that tell you yes and no what are the signals that tell you this is okay with me if if this extra other thing happens but not otherwise i'm Mm -hmm. not okay with this unless this other thing is there i need to negotiate a bit about this and how do we how do we effectively interpret those how do we put ourselves in a position to recognize when situations are going to overwhelm our ability to do that Mm -hmm. because there are lots of factors for all of us and they're different for each of us that just mean that we can't make a decision that is right for us and a really simple one is urgency so Mm -hmm. salespeople super push on this one (laughs) yeah yeah so if something is really urgent a lot of the time we completely ignore what you know anything from the neck down And we're just like, yes or no. We don't think about our gut feeling. We don't notice the emotions, any sense of tension that we've got somewhere. We don't necessarily notice any resistance or fatigue or pain that might be telling us something. We just figure the thing out as quickly as possible. And some people will default to, no, I don't want it in that situation. Mm -hmm. Lots of people default to, yes, I do want it in that situation. And I think helping people to figure out how to slow down when urgency is the problem or when mm-hmm. urgency is getting in, in the way is, is one of the really helpful things that that, can, that you can learn, right? You can learn how yeah, to take sure. breaks and how to slow down.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, as a business person, I understand urgency Uh, salespeople are really good at creating a sense of urgency and getting you to act even though, uh, you don't necessarily want to. Um, but I think one of the things that, that is kind of standing out to me is, you know, asking myself these questions of, of what do I want? And two things, one is sometimes I want things that contradict one another, yeah. Right, like uh, I want, you know, going back to to this professional, you know, thing that that that, that I'm going through right now. Uh, I I want something that is I want work that's meaningful. Uh, I was literally just on the phone with my buddy, and he's like, "Dude, you should you should start a, a dog kennel," and I'm <laughs> like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Like, I would love to like be surrounded by dogs all the time because dogs are are, are the best." Mm-hmm. But I also want to be free to travel like I want to live in a van and, you know, travel the country. So I have these like contradicting things uh, in something like kink or whatever else, you know, these 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 contradictory wants may come into play. How do I know what I really want when these things
1: are opposite of each other? I think a lot of that work is around values. So it sounds like you value freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So I also value freedom. I really love dogs and also cats and wanting to have animals in my life, but also wanting the freedom to be in a different country for Mm -hmm. five months of the year is definitely something that I have had to grapple with. And I think, It's different if you're trying to do something professionally, but in my life I've looked at, okay, so what can I offer? What do I, what do I want to offer in terms of being around animals and what are my limitations? What are the boundaries that I do not want to go beyond? So I do not want to go beyond um, having an animal for a few months. I do not want to be the permanent owner because Mm -hmm. it impedes my freedom too much. Right. But equally, I don't want to be without animals at all. That's, that's not cool with me I really like being around animals (laughs) dopamine the dopamine is amazing yes and so I have foster kittens and they come and live with me for a week or two and it's joyful and wonderful and I take videos of them and play with them and it's great and my clients meet them a lot of the time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then they go to their forever homes and it's honestly it's a lot like polyamory lots of people are like I couldn't do that I'm like, but I'm so compulsive. I feel so wonderful <laughs> when they find these people that are going to love them forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't have
0: to deal with that anymore either. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I like, I like the, the idea of values. Uh, I'm, you know, in tune, I guess. Uh, I don't want to say thank you to our, our commenter, Mr. Goldschmidt here. 2015, it looks like, when that uh, thing was in Portugal. <laughs> I think that's what he's referring to. Yeah. Um, so like, I definitely have my core values. Like I'm pretty, pretty in tune with what they are. And uh, one of the things that I want to work on personally is like a decision tree based on my values so that mm. I can make choices that align with me. Um, I feel like I, this is kind of that same idea of self-consent Um the second thing that was coming to mind as we were having this conversation, though, was what if I change my mind? What if I, I start doing something that I think is in line with what I want, but as I'm getting through it, I discover actually I don't enjoy this as much as I thought I would. Pivot! And we need to pivot. <laughs> yeah what what do we do? in
1: those situations I think that's a really excellent example of how people often do self consent poorly so they've decided for example you know I really want to go to this party tomorrow and then you're up all night with a sick cat and you're really tired and you wanted to go to the party but the context has changed you no longer Mm -hmm. want to go to the party because you're exhausted and you know you're grumpy when you go to things when you haven't had enough sleep lots of people would still go to the party because they're like, well, I committed to it and right. it would be better to go. And even if they know I'm more likely to be tearful if I do go because I haven't had enough sleep, I'm more likely to have arguments with people that I love if I go. Hmm. I'm more likely to have a much more difficult following day and possibly following week. Right. Maybe I'm going to be in more pain. Like there are lots of reasons not to. And lots of people still power through that internal don't do it and and just go. Mm-hmm. And I think part of self-consent is moving away from a decision tree. So the decision tree can give you a structure and it can help you to make the initial decision and it can help you to like really check in with yourself. But I think self-consent is a whole body experience. Hmm. So when you notice, oh, actually, there's some frustration that's coming up. There's some resentment that's coming up there's some discomfort and it's and it's getting in the way and I definitely there's a no somewhere in here I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what it is when that comes up I think that is the moment to go okay this is no longer in line with my desires limits and boundaries Mm -hmm. and sometimes those moments are small and you recognize that something happens and you need to talk about it with someone or you need to renegotiate And sometimes they're much bigger. Like I left being an academic, right? Mm -hmm. I recognized I was being discriminated against at work. I wasn't able to have accommodations made related to my disability. And I was not okay with that. And I was also not okay with academia because that had happened in literally every university that I'd worked at. Every Mm. single one and so i decided it maybe maybe the problem is between me and academia not between me and a, an employer right? right maybe this is not the right career for me and it's a career i i invested a lot in i'd done a phd i'd done th- three or maybe four postdocs i was wow. really interested in How we protect people who don't have effective legal rights, how Mm -hmm. we protect agency and, and contingent workers, how we protect people moving over borders, how we protect the lowest paid and the most marginalized workers. How do we how do we look after them? Can we do it through procurement? Can we do it through trade unions? Can we do it through professional organizations? I was fascinated by all that stuff. And I couldn't be an academic. I was terrible at it. Terrible at maintaining the uh, the administrative workload. I didn't like that. I loved mm-hmm. the teaching, loved it, <laughs> but the revise and resubmit journal article stuff—it was horrible. It didn't yeah, work for yeah. me. I knew.
0: So I feel like a, a common refrain, a common uh, a phrase, or whatever that we hear when it comes to consent culture is: if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And so you're turning that inwards on the things that you're doing. It sounds like you you use that for your professional choices. Uh, we're talking about doing that in our relationships, in uh, sexual practices, all of these different things. I mean, of course that, right? Uh, so if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, uh, is like the, the consent culture thing that, that I learned, that I picked up. Um, is that kind of what you're what you're going with as far as getting that internal consent for whatever it is that you're going
1: towards? I think that actually the self consent process needs to be a lot more nuanced than hell yes or no because some people default to no, and if you default to no interpersonally, you often end up really lonely. You mm-hmm. often end up not getting to go to things that you would really enjoy and sometimes the no comes up from anxiety it comes up from social anxiety or from a history of just feeling overwhelmed in lots of social situations mm-hmm.
0: agoraphobia so it's, is that the is that the word
1: yeah agoraphobia or just overload in loud places or mm-hmm. fear of fear of just getting it wrong socially
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I think there is a place for the hell yes and no, but I think it's so much more than that because okay. I think we can have consent without it being enthusiastic. I'm, okay. I'm I'm actually not that into enthusiastic consent. I think it's helpful. I'm into informed consent for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think we can consent to things for all kinds of reasons and those reasons could be because it's the best available work and it's giving us a paycheck. <laughs> mm-hmm. It could be because it's a relationship that we love and we want to be in despite it being painful and hard work right now for a short period of time. But I think different people who come to self-consent with different kind of situations and problems will will have to calibrate themselves differently. Mm. So if you're a person like me who was brought up with the idea that you should always be self-sufficient and you should always look after other people first before you look after yourself, then recalibrating will often look like spending a lot of time looking internally and being with yourself and getting over that kind of toxic messaging about always put others first.
0: Hmm.
1: For other people, it might be recognizing they default to a no and recognizing that the impact on their life is that it makes them lonely. So there's that self-reflection piece that that differentiates between... This situation is dangerous and this situation is causing me to have intense emotions and that's a really important piece of work because lots of people confuse this situation is making me feel uncomfortable feel angry feel sad feel shame feel big emotions and this situation is a threat to my safety or my relationship or my work Mm -hmm. does that make sense
0: It does. It does. And it resonates so hard because, uh, you know, the messaging that I've always bought into is the hustle mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Bust my ass work, 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 24, seven, put everything I've got into everything that I'm doing. And, you know, I'll reap the rewards (laughs) later. And, you know, for the past almost eight years, you know, I've been working really hard at something and I mean, I, 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 must've done a good enough job because I was able to take a break from it for four months. But the, the, the four months that I've been like taking this break, it's a lot of what you're talking about, that internal, like, slow down, stop, don't work, you mm. know, and training myself to not work for like a week yeah. was, ah, it was painful. <laughs> it was painful to not work. Uh, mm. And, and so so that's why, you know, that, that really resonates. Um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the, the course, your workshop. Uh, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. So can you take us another level deeper and, and uh, what, how much more? I'm sure that, that we're never going to get through all of it because it's a whole workshop. But like, what's the next level
1: deeper than what we are talking about? So the next level really is all about figuring out what are the areas in which you have choices that you're not exercising? and lots basically everybody has some areas in which they have choice that they're not exercising and the choices that we have are really impacted by our privilege Mm -hmm. so somebody who is a white able-bodied cis man who is wealthy is going to have a lot more options generally Mm -hmm. speaking than somebody who is a black disabled woman who's a sexual minority right right and that privilege means that the window of choice that we have if we're that white guy could be like a penthouse floor to ceiling panoramic view right over a city Mm -hmm. versus the woman's tiny little basement window but in either case we usually draw the blinds over part of it and we can't see that we do have options open to us Mm -hmm. in, in that part that's covered right So in my life, for example, I'm a part-time wheelchair user. I can only walk for about 12, 14 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling angry and resentful about the fact that it gets snowy (laughs) in the winter. And I can't do the movement that I need. I need to do like 3,000 to 6,000 steps to Mm -hmm. manage my pain. And I felt like I had no choices. Like other people have choices because they can just go for a walk. If I go for a walk, I'm going to fall over and I'm going to be in way more pain. Not an option for me when it's icy and snowy. Can't use my e-bike, which is my second best movement thing. And so I was feeling really shut down and tense and frustrated about it. But then when I was able to dig into it with somebody else, I was able to reduce my emotional activation, which was really getting in the way of being able to see the amount of choice that I really had. Mm And I was able to think about alternatives. I was able to think about, okay, well, I could buy a yoga mat, <laughs> invest right. in time looking at, on YouTube for things that I could do in, on a yoga mat in my lounge. I could buy a QB, which I have under my office desk right here, which is like a little peddly thing that mm-hmm. connects to my Fitbit and allows me to sit at my desk in a nice warm office and not in the snow and do the movement that I need, which makes my back feel better without being scared of falling over. And so my privilege, the amount of money that I had that I could spend on this and my disprivilege, the being a disabled person who couldn't just do what most other people do kind of fit together in that moment to give me both Mm. options and limitations. And everybody sits at that point of privilege and disprivilege. Right. So the next point is figuring out where are the areas that I have choice are the things where I'm really tense at the moment where I'm feeling maybe unusual fatigue or unusual pain, or an intense emotion like resentment or anger or frustration, that is making me feel like I don't have options in an area. And sometimes it's true, you don't. But a lot of the time, you can actually get there if you can reduce that intensity of upset or frustration to allow you to dig into what are the options available to me
0: Yeah I mean a lot of times the the emotion around those types of situations will blind us I mean it happens to me all the time if I get emotional it's really hard to see the other options I just want the thing like like I get tunnel vision I want the thing that I that I want yeah. and it's it's really hard to to see that there are other options or other ways of getting it and then that's when someone like yourself would come into place where you're not feeling the same emotions that I am. You can help me by viewing it from a different perspective and point out some of the things that, um, that I might be missing. Uh, Sophia, I, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. There's so much more available in your workshop. Uh, tell us, tell the audience, uh, about your workshop that you've got going on, about your course coming up in January. Uh, and in the meantime, tell them where they can find out more information about you
1: and about that course. Sure, uh, thank you for the opportunity to share that. I'm running a couple of workshops in the autumn of this year around self-consent and figuring out just a couple of practices to help loosen up some of the areas. and there are a bunch of things that typically get in the way, uh, or barriers, I guess, to self consent that lots of different people have. And so my workshop talks through what are these usual barriers? What are these common barriers? How can we dig into them and figure out is this a barrier for you? And how can you really interrogate how that impacts on you, and try and navigate around it. And of course, it's clunky, like people trying this out. It's clunky at first, it's really uncomfortable at mm-hmm, first, mm-hmm. but it really develops the capacity to be more in touch with what your desires, limits and boundaries are. And typically I will work with quirky queers and cultural renegades, um, and that usually does include a lot of non-monogamous people. Um, lots of kinky people too, to be honest.
0: Mm-hmm. my workshop... Huge crossover there anyway.
1: <laughs> Such a big crossover, it's true. My workshops that I run all the time are around dialectical behavior therapy skills. And I usually focus those on either sex work performers or on my quirky queers and cultural renegades. But the self consent work that's coming up in January is going to be a two month long course, which does a deep dive into what are the barriers that get in the way of self consent? And what are some tools, some like practical, use them in your life ways of helping you to cope with it so that's things like how do you tolerate distress or reduce the intensity of those emotions so that you can get in touch with that in a sense of yes no maybe how do you figure out whether it's the possibility of what somebody else is going to say in response to you expressing your desire or need that's getting in the way of you even noticing it even feeling it you know lots of different it looks at lots of different angles to figure out what is it that's difficult and how can we unstick that and lots of different small tools to kind of shift a little bit and a little bit more.
0: I love it. I love it. That sounds like a really intense course to say the very least. (laughs) Um, If someone is uh, not great necessarily at introspection, I think that this would be a really good one to, to help somebody dig deeper. Uh, Sophia, the last thing I want to ask you is, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you wish that I had asked or that I just plum
1: forgot? I think I would have liked to be asked, who is it for? Who, who are the, I guess, who is the idea of self-consent predominantly for? Because well, tell I think- us, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Um. I think it's for, I was talking about people who default to yes or default to no. I think those people really benefit from it. But I think people who grew up with shoulds, you mentioned mm. the should here. You mentioned a, like, you should be a striver. You have to hustle. If you hustle, it's the American dream. It's such an American mm-hmm. should. And mm-hmm. I think we have very different versions in other countries, but this is very, very much an American should. You, if you do this, then this is what will happen. And if if it doesn't happen, then it's because you've not done it enough. You, sh- if you just hustle more, that's that's what will do it, right? And all of the shoulds, the the I should always be able to do everything for myself. The um, I should look after other people before I look after myself. The Other people should know what I need. I shouldn't have to tell them. Other people should know my limits. I shouldn't have to tell them. Mm. All lots of different shoulds really intensify emotion and really get in the way of being able to center in yourself. And then I think a really big group is people who are parentified as children who grew up with too much responsibility for others, too much uh, with maybe some neglect, but Mm -hmm. definitely being rewarded for being self-sufficient and for not needing things from other people. Those people have that kind of toxic belief that they have to be everything. They have to do everything. Mm -hmm. And they're only worthy if they do. And I think this course can be most impactful perhaps to that community of people, that group of people who really need permission to center themselves to be told that like it's not selfish it's not mindless navel gazing it's not going to keep you away from your values actually it's going to move you towards them it's going to help you be more embodied and be more centered and be more full of brimming with life and enthusiasm because you're going to be able to know who you are and what you want does that make sense
0: absolutely it does and i kind of want to sign up myself no lie um (laughs) Sounds amazing. Thank you, Sophia. Uh, All of you listening, if you want to get more in touch with yourself, if you are one of these should people uh, and uh, want to to take that deep dive, go to loveuncommon.com. Follow Sophia on Twitter at loveuncommon and sign up for these courses. Workshop going on right now and a full course coming out in January. Thank you again so much, Sophia. This has really been uh, truly a pleasure.
1: It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you, and thank you as always to our live audience for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions. But the same can be said for those podcast downloads. So, <laughs> if you want to catch us, uh, if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, two thirty Pacific time. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch, or sign up for uh, Patreon where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Thank you to all of our commenters, Rob and Kristen and uh, Mr. Goldschmidt. Um, Wherever it is to download your podcast, if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That is all we've got for you all today. Thank you, as always, to our audience. Thank you, Sophia. Until next time.